welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different, something that we really haven't done before, and it's either going to go really good or really bad. Uh, but I guess we will see soon enough. Uh, the idea is, is that, um, apparently, uh, there was some, uh, oh, issues over at the, uh, carpet Python discussion page. And one of the things that's hard to get across in, um, the, uh, <clears throat> internet is, uh, <clears throat> you know, talking to somebody and they don't, you know, they don't hear your tone or your context or whatever. So, uh, I don't know. Sometimes people are, get a little sensitive to, uh, the things that are posted, um, when they ask the question, I think that, uh, it's great to have newbies coming into the fold, uh, and to keep it carpet pythons. I think that's a great thing. And I think that, uh, you know, more people coming in means, uh, more interest and more people keeping carpets, overall but uh you know with that newbies coming in comes the questions and you know nowadays i don't know owen can 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 relate to this but back in the mp days i mean there was one place to go uh Mm -hmm. you sort of like uh you sort of lurked there for a while and watched people uh you know comment and talk and discuss and yes but and i was gonna say and the last thing was and back then uh, people, I guess, weren't as sensitive as they are today because, whew, there, there was some rough stuff sometimes going on over yeah, there. Yeah, but also, I mean, it, it when I when I was starting and everything was kind of over an MP, the people who kind of wandered over there were the people who were interested in carpet pythons. Not, um, you know, there wasn't any kind of morph chasers or anything crazy like that or somebody trying to make a quick buck. And there wasn't that much to be confused about. There were coastals, jungles, IJs, and there were no morphs except for stripes and Jaguar. And that was pretty much it. So it was really easy to get up to date on everything that was going on in carpet Python world. It's only after I'd been there for about a year, year and a half, did everything start kind of expanding, you know, zebras, albinos, uh, all the other, uh, they brought into MP all the uh, species and uh, that were in Australia and not in the U.S. So, uh, you know, there was a breakdown, all that stuff. Things like bread lies started getting talked about more and more. So it, it kind of expanded slowly for me. So it was pretty easy to catch up on some stuff. Uh, yeah. Where a newbie might be kind of waiting in, it's really kind of difficult to jump all in uh, on today's world. And I can understand that a lot of the guys who have been around, guys and gals who have been around forever, uh, might get a little frustrated with the same questions, getting hurt, getting asked over and over again. These are new questions for them, so you can't really fault them for it. Um, yeah. I, I would get mad if the same guy kept asking, because then it's like, dude, we, we answered your question. It's not going to change just because you're on a different page or it's Tuesday now. So I don't know. Um I could definitely see where, and almost it does seem like, and I and I kind of attribute this to being the internet stuff. No one knows the tone, so they kind of make it up themselves. And 
you just coming across as trying to tell somebody what's going on and answering their question, uh, they might perceive it as you kind of being talking down to them or being cruel. And then they take offense and they say some stuff. They very easily can become a powder keg. So, and I have to say this, I have to get this out of the way because Go for it. Uh, I just think that, um, you know, my friendship with this person, um, I, I don't know. Uh, so Scott Borden, um, <laughs> he's <laughs> seems like right. he's getting a he's getting a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hate, I guess, as of late. Um, really? Yeah, he got some, some some. Well, this is sort of how this whole thing sort of started stirring up, but um, they're just saying that he was an asshole and whatnot. And again, I go back to context and I go back to uh, you know how things are are typed on the internet is not necessarily how uh, you know what is meant to come across but you know Scott Scott, uh, he can be I've gotten into many debates with Scott um, and always from a good spot but we don't Mm -hmm. always see eye to eye However, <clears throat> I can respect his um his position um simply because uh he really does have a lot of knowledge when it comes to just reptiles in general. Um but he he's not going to sugarcoat stuff and no. you know I respond to that I guess other people don't, you know. I want somebody I want to know where I stand with somebody, I don't want to guess. And, you know, you know where you stand with Scott, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. But he keeps, uh, he has great animals. Um, I think the whole, for some reason, and I don't understand this, and when Riley jumps on, people can understand, but it seems that the carpet, this carpet Python discussion board uh, admins mm. um, get a, uh, a rap of being purist, uh, which is kind of strange to me because yeah, because that's I don't, not the case. <laughs> and even even if they are purists, it doesn't mean that they're going to discriminate against anybody who wants to throw a bunch of mutts on their page. It's a carpet python discussion, and we know all the admins, and I don't see them as being those kind of guys. So no. yeah, I would say okay. the last thing I'll say before. Uh, we start going or whatnot, but uh, is, um, you know, for a lot of us that have been doing this for a while, because let's face it, Owen, me and you have been doing it for a while now. Um, it's, it's weird that you mentioned this because I, I hatched out a baby California king snake right. uh, two, days, two days ago. Right. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, when was the last time I hatched these things out? 2005. And it was my first wow. clutch ever. So wow. I have been technically breeding snakes since 2005. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've been in the, in it for a while. Um, and, uh, we're just, we just see, you know, a lot of us got into car carpets and Morelia because of not only the snakes, but the people. Right. And, uh, 
you know, the community is, uh, let's see, the Morelia community is a little bit hesitant with just accepting people right in. Now, I don't know whether that's good or bad. However, once you're in, you're pretty much part of the family. True. And to be honest, I can see where I know of uh, some people who, you know, who were who came in and were friends with the uh, people who were kind of already established carpet python breeders and they vouched for them and stuff like that. And then a bunch of breeders ended up, did end up getting burned. Um, I, for one vouch for a friend of mine who wanted to get into carpet pythons and he ended up running off and I've never heard from him since, uh, with a bunch of snakes from a few carpet python breeders that I know. Uh, I know there were a few, it was a friend of, uh, a few of ours, uh, I know Howard to name a few. I know Jason's known some people who kind of come in act that they're all kind of cool and stuff and then end up kind of sticking us in the back. And I can see that. Is that who I'm thinking of? There are a few people you'd be thinking of. Um, You know of them. Yeah, Yeah, I think I've told you all of them. One that personally ripped me off? (laughs) Oh, well, no. That's another one. That's you. That's that's your. It seems like every breeder does that. They bring somebody in, and then they end up just getting gutted by this person. So a lot of big-time breeders – I know there's, there's, there's that one. Then there's that one. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I can count six. Okay. So, and I'm not going to say name names or do any of that fun stuff. If you want to know, message me later, but it's (laughs) like, it's like, so I can see people being hesitant for that because you know, it's not only like, dude, snakes are snakes and money's money. And I know of some people who've been ripped off for uh, more than just a hundred bucks. And are just like, eh, it's whatever, but it, it still stings. So, you know, it, it kind of see why some people might be a little reluctant to be like, hey, but everybody does their best and everybody is very welcoming if you're not an idiot or an asshole. Okay. So just, yeah, calm down. So <laughs> I, th- I think, I think, I think the thing is, is that, you know, like with, with new people, getting mm-hmm. into it sometimes they can come across like if they read something in a book or or they read <laughs> something on the internet and they accept it as true and right. then you're arguing with somebody that's actually physically been breeding for yes. 20 plus years that's so, uh you might want to rethink your position on that exactly now, and that well, I'm just I was telling say, you, if if you're gonna do this, if you're gonna read something, read the complete carpet python, because then you're gonna be on yes. the same page as everybody else. So it's like, if you want to take yes. any book as gospel, like that would be it. Yes. <laughs> All the internet and, articles, what your cousin uh, or what your buddy at a reptile show who breeds geckos told you, it's like, it's, no, just read the damn book. <laughs> so and then you're done. <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, that's just – and I, w- I said this on the past episode when we had the roundtable about, uh, uh, you know, carpet pythons, what is my carpet python and all that, mm-hmm. that um, sometimes if a new keeper is observing something that's new or something that's odd or they experience something different than what is, let's say, quote-unquote, the norm of carpet python breeding or keeping – Um, they shouldn't automatically be, uh, you know, 
dismissed because no, of uh, of course not uh, because they're new or they they don't have the experience. Uh, they could be very smart. I mean, there are people that have bred and kept snakes, uh, you know, before they got into carpet pythons. So you know that knowledge, you know, that 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 has to speak for something. It's not like you're brand new to keeping snakes. You know what I mean? Or keeping reptiles or pythons or whatever. So, you know, you don't really, I mean, and I'm saying this from the point of view of, uh, you know, breeders that have been doing it for a long time. You shouldn't necessarily just assume that because you've never seen them before, that they don't know anything about what they're talking about. So, yeah, they might know a lot and they might be able to bring in just some they they might have something from the outside from like say breeding retics for years or something like that that could be useful for certain carpet pythons. So it'd be dumb to kind of dismiss everybody just because this is their first like, go around with carpets. Yeah, just think if Frederick all of a sudden decided that he was going to keep carpet pythons and then he started making observations about carpet pythons that he was keeping. Um I, I would think love the fact that he's bred. I would love Poland. the screenshot. I would love the screenshot of some guy who like two carpet pythons and never bred them, just like trying to school Frederick on breeding <laughs> snakes. Like yeah. I would make a T-shirt out of that. It's like yeah. before you speak, know who you're talking to because some yeah. people like uh, it's like some people deserve a little bit more respect, and it's like you, you gotta. Don't don't assume that everybody on that you're the the problem I have is people who are online and think that they are the most knowledgeable person that's sitting on at their keyboard on Facebook at this particular moment. And they will jump in and they will say a bunch of things that they assume are completely true and that they that and that because they're the smartest person sitting at the keyboard. Little do they know that there are other people on the thread or who haven't even responded yet that have done t- 10 times more with reptiles and specifically maybe even just carpet python. So it's like I, that's what kind of shocks me is the first person to comment is, comment is usually the one with the least amount of knowledge. So, yeah, so true. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, let's see, uh, a couple more things before we get going. So so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to open up the phone lines. We're and so doomed. <laughs> <laughs> so the call-in number is 347-215-7359. And if you have a question about carpet pythons or keeping or breeding or any of that, uh, you can uh, – you can ask your question, and we'll do our best to answer it with Riley here. And uh, you could also send us a PM over on Facebook, either myself, Eric Burke, or Owen McIntyre, and we'll do our best to get those questions in as well. Uh, if you're sitting on the line and you're just listening on your phone, uh, periodically as I see numbers pop up, I'm going to be clicking on like the, what is called the green room, so to speak. So just me and that person will be talking uh, and just tell me if just, if I say, you know, what was your question? uh, Then, you know, just let me know what the question is. 
if you're just listening in, then just say, I'm just listening in and I'll put you back on hold and we can go from there. Um, so that's that. Uh, well, <clears throat> so this will show you how awesome my wife is. Tonight is our anniversary. <laughs> oh, damn. Well, congratulations on the anniversary and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So I took, I took her out to dinner before, uh, before we did the show. So we're good. But, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, if, if I sound like I'm like tired or whatever, uh, pretty exhausted. I had a lot of work to do today, pre carpet fest, digging holes and laying down rocks and all kind of crazy shit. Yeah, what so, kind of carpet fest, carpet fest is this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that's that. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Well, speaking of carpet fest, it's, uh, just a little over a week away. Oh uh, God. Yeah. Yes. And it snuck so, up on us quickly. Very. Uh, if you, uh, we should probably, I'll post that up uh, tonight or tomorrow. If you are going to donate to the auction, please get in contact with myself or Eric. Let us know what you want to offer. And if you can send us, I don't know, if you have a company logo or anything like that, send that over to us as well. And we'll get that list together and all that fun stuff. And then we'll try to go live with that. Uh, we got to go live with the auction next week. Ah, crap. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be busy. Um, Which the other thing I wanted to mention, you're going on a fishing trip on Tuesday after Carpet Fest. How are we going to do the show? (laughs) Oh, you're on your own, dude. No, 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 no. Well, I say we wait till Wednesday. Okay. We'll talk about this later. (laughs) Okay. um, So you're not going? I I can't. I don't think Uh, it's going to let me. (laughs) So. It's full, and I saw I know, you chatting full. about it. So I was thinking that you were the one that was the no, last one. No, I don't. I don't think so. So. Oh, what a bummer. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll try to get permission just in case somebody drops out because that did happen uh, last year. So I'll uh, I'll do that, and if I get permission, I'll let Curtin know as I'm a good backup. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but, but uh, the other thing is that uh, we got the T-shirt final money there. Oh, okay. So we raised six hundred and fifty dollars for USR. That's awesome. Yes. Cool. So that'll get rolled into what we raise at the auctions and then given to USR at the end, uh, like always. So there you go. So uh, if you want to find out what's going on with uh, Northeast Carpet Fest, then be sure to go over to the group page Northeast Carpet Fest. Uh, and uh, ask to join, and we'll get you going there. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm real excited. Cool. It should be a great time. Uh, hey, and just to, just just on a side note, you know, there's a bunch of these Carpet Fests going on all over the place. Um, Owen and I are pretty proud that we, you know, were able to get that ball rolling almost six years ago and uh, actually make it something so that now it's caught on to people in different parts of the U.S. And um, that's a perfect spot to go and talk to somebody about questions that you would have about keeping carpets or any other morelia. And there won't be anything lost in translation because you'll be face-to-face. Correct. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you can you meet get... Scott Borden and punch him if you want. So you know, 
Yeah. But uh, I finally, uh, the last thing I got before we get going. So before yep. uh, I will say, well, actually, I have two things. So what we're going to do ahead. is there's a there's a list that Riley had uh, going. It's uh, of just the questions that seem to pop up from time to time. So what we're going to do is uh, as we wait for people to call in, uh, we're just going to read off some of these questions and answer it to the best of our ability. Um, cool. How we do it or, you know, like I said, it could vary from question to question on all three of us. Uh, Owen and I are probably similar or, you know, Riley, he's all the way over on the West coast, different weather. Uh, so different, uh, parameters to keep them healthy. Uh, but overall I would say carpets are pretty bulletproof. There are some that are a little more finicky than others, but for the most part, they're very, uh, I think they're uh they're they're pretty straightforward when it comes to keeping and breeding in my opinion uh you know so and last thing I got is uh I finally completed my uh pair of Womas um I got uh today in the mail uh from Art who is probably uh I would say one of the I would say it's probably the best Woma breeder in the U S uh, he has nice. amazing Womas and I got a pair today along to go with my mail that I already had. Uh, and I'm pretty, pretty happy about it. So, uh, and I should have a male water Python Queensland water Python coming soon as well. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. That's, that's awesome. I, yeah, uh, talked to our good friend, Mr. Buddy Buscemi, uh, last week. And, uh, I'm getting a certain type of snake that I know I've been pining over for a bit. So rhinos. Yes. <laughs> yes. Rhinos so, and rough scales. Rhinos, rhinos and, and rough scales. <laughs> Everything that nice. begins with an R. <laughs> <So Right. laughs> You know, cool. so yeah, I'm gonna get those. So I'm I'm excited, also slightly terrified. So I don't know how we're gonna do this, but uh um so at Carpet Fest I'm gonna be chewing Buddy's ear off trying to figure out what I gotta do there. So You'll also have Mr. Rob Stone who's probably I will. Oh my god. All right, we're having a rhino round table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Rob knows the shit when it comes to rhinos, so but, I know. Uh, all we'd have to do is, and then we have to just FaceTime Carrie Burrell. And, <laughs> so it's like, you know. <laughs> cartwheel time! <Perfect. laughs> this entire season, I'm going to make, bring him up as much as we can. So um, <laughs> this way, he can be in on it, too. So it's great. So. <laughs> uh, much love, Terry. Much love. That's awesome. Um Okay, let's get Riley on here. Let's get uh let's get going here. Hey Riley. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, uh, we're surviving. <laughs> hey, that's what counts, right? So, it is. <laughs> yeah. So you wanna give any kind of uh, you know, statement before we uh get kicking into this about uh 
I don't know. I was looking for the word, and I'm I'm tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> Riley, you want to talk before we? Talk? Do you want? Do you have a press release that you want yeah. to say before we? Uh, you want to say for the record before we begin? Uh, I mean, I don't want to get too off track about it, but um, you know, the discussion board is over 1,300 people right now, and I definitely didn't think that was going to happen. So, nice. I guess any. Uh, any issues that have arisen recently, it's kind of one of the things that's bound to happen when you get enough people in one area um, sooner yeah. or later. So I uh, apologize for anything that has gone awry from the entire purpose of the group or if anybody's seen things that they, they don't like or anything like that. Um, you know, there's been people who've reached out to me personally and said, hey, you know, this is kind of off and, you know, what what's going on with this? And I appreciate everybody giving me feedback. So for everybody who's still sticking around in there, you know, appreciate it for everybody who's bringing new people in, appreciate that more, you know. Um, it seems like MP is kind of uh, a relic these days, so it's nice to have at least something that people are still plugged into to get info, and I'm glad everybody's asking questions. So, yeah, keep it rolling. Definitely. And I did want to say that um, I think the last time you guys had me on, I was really excited right before you guys unmuted me and I hadn't cleared my throat because I didn't want to make noise because I was uber <laughs> paranoid about it. And you guys called you asked me on and I just kind of made this inaudible like, Bleh. and I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> sounded like, like an idiot. Oh, pinnacle, the point of, oh, damn it. And it's like, you just, yeah, I, don't worry. It yeah, I, I flubbed my intro before I could <laughs> recall my, you know, whatever had just happened. We had moved on. I was like, damn, I damn it. Sense. It's all right. Like I said, it happens to me pretty much every week. It's like, Eric's like, how are you doing on? I'm like, huh? So, yeah, I mean, you think by now I'd be ready for it. So Sure. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, you guys have been doing Carpet Fest for like six years now, and you've been doing the show for over five years. So Uh, Don't um, remind us. You know, huge, huge, huge round of applause, props, all of that good stuff to you guys. I mean, what you guys do, you know, for the community is pretty – pretty impressive so i definitely wanted to take a minute and say thank you guys for everything you do for uh all of us uh morelia folks well somebody had to that was pretty much the premise <laughs> eric started the whole damn thing with so yeah sure. uh, <laughs> the thing well, i lived my life you. by yeah and i just yeah. do shit and there's people that talk about shit be somebody that does sure. it and i'm just okay. here for plucky comic relief so you know that's the <laughs> That's my purpose. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. That's no, no, plenty no, no, of value. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, guys, if all of a sudden I drop out, I'm just, you know, as, as uh, you know, right. You're uh, going I to see people popping people. up. Right. So, no so far, way. <laughs> so far, we just have people listening in, and uh, we're just going to um, right. keep going. But uh, so what we'll do is I guess we'll just sort of uh, – hit some of these questions that, uh, so this thing that you sent me, uh, Riley, this is the most asked, most commonly asked questions, uh, on the carpet Python discussion board page. Yeah. So Terrell and a few other people and I, we sort of realized that there's a lot of, uh, repetitive questions and we thought, you know, how can we put together some sort of reference guide if anybody's going to go through and read and, um, you know, see if their question that they want to ask has already been asked before rather than have them scroll through pages and pages. Why, you know, can we put something together where it's just like a quick document right there and they can just, you know, quickly get a a, a brief reference so they don't 
you know, maybe ask a question that's been asked five times, you know, that morning or something like that. So it's currently incomplete and some of it is, uh, is, you know, really basic and some of it is kind of specific. And I just was scrolling through, um, the group and just adding questions in there and answering which ones that I knew, you know, any sort of relevant or confident information for Terrell added some Brandon added some and a few other people contributed. So um, some of them aren't answered in this document as, as you can see from flipping through and some of it, you know, I didn't have a, a, a short brief way to answer it. And some of it, I have no experience. So I didn't feel comfortable answering something that, you know, I can't really speak on. So, um, if you, if there's any of those questions you wanted to get into that don't have answers, um, you know, I might end up telling you, well, I don't consider myself a credible source of information for that, and I'll let you guys run it. Okay. That may happen with us, too, but we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think – I well, I don't I, – I, I think we pretty much uh, – I don't know, Owen, where I think I'm pretty much, uh, I, I, I know carpet pythons probably better than any other type of python, so I can I do have my a best. general understanding of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At this I point, this one, I hope so. so. I think this one is important, and you guys did answer this one, but I think this is important for newbies that, you know, I'm hopefully are listening to show, uh, and uh, what should I know before purchasing a carpet python? Everything. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Owen. Lay it <laughs> on right. me. Right. I'm what, a new guy. You... I'm walking up to your table, and I say, hey, man, what are these? Go ahead. The ball python. But uh, what you need to you need to understand as a lot of the other beginner stakes that you might already have or might already be interested in. It's it's he's the biggest guy in his territory. So eventually when he gets a certain age, he's not going to give a crap. If you see him, he's going to lay out wherever he feels like it. Babies are very, very easily triggered kind of flight wise. They get scared easy. So swooping in from above like a bird, you're going to get a little nip. Um, They can uh, draw blood. So they got a little bit of a strike and they're a little bit, you know, testy. Uh, babies that come from a breeder might not take to a tank automatically. You know, I've had numerous people that are like, I took it home and I shoved it in a 45 gallon breeder tank. And I'm like, it was a baby living in a five quart bin. And you're wondering why it's not eating. It's losing its freaking mind. Put it in like a 10 gallon tank or something. So you got to understand if you're going to get a carpet python, what cage to get, what temperatures to set it at, what to do to make the animal feel comfortable enough that it's going to eat, shed, grow, and you're going to have success with it. And they're actually easier than a lot of other species out there, if you think about it. Um, The temperatures are pretty much set. If you kind of ballpark it, they're pretty hardy, so you don't have to worry about too many things there. Um, As far as their temperament, it does get better with age. So, you know, you got to get past little baby stages, and then when they get a little bit bigger, a little bit more confident, they tend to not nip and be as ornery. They're easily handleable. They don't get huge. So you may only need maybe two to three cage changes during the animal's entire life, depending on when you pick it up. Um, as far as food, if you can get them onto rats, they'll, rat, they'll, they'll sit on rats for the rest of their lives. So it makes it easier there, too. So it's a lot easier than you think if you approach it the right way. Is what I would say is the good beginning thing for carpet pythons. Well, I would say that 
you know, the most important thing that people have to understand when coming into carpet pythons is that they're not like a lot of other reptile uh, reptiles in the fact that in the fact that they they are uh, broken up into subspecies or species depending on whatever taxonomic uh, view you take. So mm-hmm. that being said, you can't you can't approach it like you're breeding ball pythons uh, in the fact that. You can't take a gene A and breed it to gene B and get gene AB and you still have a ball python. If you have carpet pythons and let's say you take a jag, which is, and let's just assume for the sake of argument that you're getting this jag from a breeder that has kept it uh, in the coastal uh you know, subspecies, if you will. So you're working with all coastal animal. If you go and breed that to say a granite, you've now uh, made a cross. And that's where the word designer comes from, is that it's sort of like, uh, you know, uh, the only other one that comes to mind for me is chondros. And even with those, uh, some people are, hesitant to accept the fact that if you're breeding a Northern to a Southern, that that's a cross as well. But, you know, again, that's taxonomic uh, stuff, which always changes. It's always in flux. It's never, you know, uh, it, it seems to, to constantly be on the move and it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's tons of, um, references uh, out there today that you can really get a good understanding of uh, the carpet python complex. Uh, You know, the complete carpet would be the thing that I would recommend first. uh, If you're looking for a place uh, where you can sort of get an overview, I would say MoreliaPythonRadio.com is a good spot to sort of give you an idea of what the complex is and, which gene is associated with what subspecies, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, because the le- podcast, you know, oh, you yeah. listen to some of that. <laughs> There's a podcast that has tons and tons of, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, keepers and breeders that have been on here, uh, from covering every subspecies of carpet Python that you can just, uh, you know, listen to, for instance, if you're just particularly interested in say jungles, you know, we've done tons of jungle episodes. Uh, if you're just interested in, you know, diamond pythons, uh, we did some of those as well. I think for the most part there, you know, you'll learn how, uh, diamond pythons are kept different than other carpet pythons. Um, Mm -hmm. so you should understand that as well. Um, you know, some of them are spring breeders and some of them are winter breeders, which would, if you're getting into breeding, stuff like that is really uh, pretty crucial to understand, you know, when do you cycle them? Uh, when do you put them together? You know, all those things matter depending on the subspecies that you're working with. Um, uh, as you all know, well, and maybe some new people don't know, I, I plan my projects out years in advance. So like 
knowing specifically what animal I wanted. So that would be the other thing that I would say is like, you know, if you're trying to breed and you want to just be able to make some really nice babies and, and, and then sort of, uh, you know, sell some in order to pay for rodents or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, mm-hmm. You really have to think about your project because not all carpet pythons are created equal. Um, and that's sort of where the lineage thing comes in. If you, if you hear that pop up from time to time, lineage is important to me because it gives the history of the animal, not so much if it's pure or not pure, but you can get an idea by looking through the generations of how that animal has, um, improved, if you will, uh, over the, uh, over the years, um, you know, getting closer and closer to that goal. Uh, somebody like, uh, Chris from uh, Headhunters comes to mind with what they've done with jungle carpets, and you know now they pretty much consistently get uh, tremendous results. Uh, Jason Balin, when it comes to tigers, uh, you know I think of uh, you know these are these are people that are associated either with a subspecies or with a morph that they put in a lot of work, and. If I what I did was I acquired it straight from that source, yeah. um, you know I think that would be the best advice. So if for instance if tiger carpets are what you're interested in, I would say the way to go uh, would be to contact somebody like Jason Balin um, and you know talk to him. Or if you're in one of the shows that he does, if you're you know and uh, he goes to Tinley Park, so you could talk to him there, you know chat with him about, about tigers. And, and, uh, you know, he can tell you some of the history and his experience with how the gene works because, you know, Riley might not know this, but maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but you know, that was a, a, a huge debate back in the day. I mean, we only had a couple of genes that we were working with and a couple of subspecies, but how the tiger gene was, uh, inherited was a huge debate. You know, uh, people really got heated over that saying it was one way and, you know, uh, who you're going to listen to, you're going to listen to the guy that's bred them over and over and over again. You know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know. I think I, I hit most of what I would think that I would direct somebody, um, in, uh, if they if they want to know what to do before getting a carpet python. What about you, Riley? What do you think? Yeah, I think you hit on all that perfectly. Um, it, it, you know, it's really easy for people to get a one-track mind, especially if you're coming from a more popular species, assuming you've kept snakes before and then transitioned into carpets because somebody you know has one and they caught your eye and all of a sudden you kind of take the same approach you did with a previous species on them and they're, they're kind of different in that way with the localities and morphs associated with localities, you know, you kind of have to pay a little little bit more attention to the details. And so um, really asking questions uh, for, you know, from people who have put in the legwork or people who come before you can really like make a world of difference when you're first getting into it. Um, Todd really uh, took me in and sort of schooled me to a lot of that pretty early on, which I'm, you know, ridiculously grateful for because I, you know, I would have fallen to the same pitfalls that a lot of newer people today are. Um, And I'm not saying that I've been around forever, but, you know, I've been keeping for a few years now. So I sort of uh, had my, my slips and falls and figured it out. And then 
got a little bit of coaching. And one of the things that I see that is different today than it was when you guys were maybe coming up is a lot of people had mentors. Um, mm-hmm. I bring it up every once in a while. And I think the idea of a mentor is um, very That's underappreciated awesome. these days. I, you know, like even if you're not 15 minutes away from them and you go clean their cages twice a week and learn from them to hang out with them regularly, just somebody you can chat with, you know, once a month or something like that regularly. Or if you have a question, they're always available for, I think that, you know, can make a world of difference. And uh, I probably burned Todd out in the first six months to a year of him and I knowing each other, just texting him and asking questions and calling him all the time. And uh, sorry, Todd, but uh, (laughs) you know, having, having somebody that you can go to for questions is great. And there's a few people um, that I'm proud to say that, you know, I sold them their first carpet or something like that, even if, I didn't necessarily produce it or selling it for a friend or something like that. And then they continuously come back to me for questions. And um, I make time for people like that because I remember how I was when I first started. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. The super caramel. Sure. What's that? And, you know, I had no idea. <laughs> localities about stuff. And I didn't know, you know, any of that. So um, asking questions, reading books, doing research. Um, yeah, I think you mentioned um, when you were talking about, the earlier MP days and everyone get started is just kind of sitting there and, and listening and looking and reading a, a lot of what was going on for a year or two before you even chimed in. I think that's a wise way to approach things too, is just sit back and soak it all up before you start um, contributing. And, and there were times a couple of years ago where I would weigh in on a comment thread on something that I definitely should have even been opening my mouth about. Cause I had no idea, but I had read something that, you know, I don't know if the source is credible or not, but I had it in my head and all of a sudden it came out and I was like, damn, I, you know, I could have learned more by just sitting there and listening to everything else. So I think that makes a big difference too. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, nowadays everybody's all over social media and so everybody can instantly chime in and stuff. And by the time I see a question that I might have experience on something, if if there's like 30 other responses to it, I'll read through them, but chances are it's already been answered. So, you know, sometimes less is more and not chiming in is, is a better way to learn and help somebody else learn. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. The mentor thing uh, sticks out to me because I would say that uh, Nick Mutton mentored me um, a great deal uh, when it comes to carpet pythons, when I was first getting into it. Um, and, I mentored a few people um, and, you know, I think it's a good way to just pass along the knowledge that, uh, that you've, you've gotten over the years and your experience in keeping or however it is. I think that's, uh, that's a, that's a good thing. So, you know, uh, if you're particularly uh, like the way somebody does something, you know, give them, send them a message. Who knows? You know what I mean? I mean, I guess if you're looking at it from uh, from a a monetarial a mon oh god I can't even talk monetarial <laughs> yeah monetary oh, monetary what no I don't know <laughs> monetary yeah monetary uh, point of view uh, you would think that somebody would want to uh, mentor somebody uh, because you're going to get into it and hopefully you're going to, you know, nobody buys just one carpet python. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> Wait, we, we, you can own just one? 
<laughs> you can't. Man. Why didn't anybody tell me this? Yeah, well. Yeah. You know, uh, but, uh, you know, you like speaking from that aspect. And, and I, I would say nine times out of ten, you actually become pretty good friends with that person and develop relationships outside of snakes and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so, but here's a, the thing is that you thing. can easily learn what you're looking for. Because, I mean, I – I, I I didn't have anybody nearby. I didn't have anybody who I could talk to or do any of that stuff. And I was kind of the shy, dopey college kid. So what I ended up doing is going to my local shows and talking the year off of Jason Bailey. So by doing that, when I started actually coming out and displaying my animals and asking questions and talking on MP, you know, it kind of had a thing of like, Jason was there and you know, sometimes he'd come be like, yeah, another kid or whatever the hell like that. Plus, you know, then I got to know Howard and then I got to know a few other people. And just by knowing somebody and, you know, basically going over, talking to Balin for an hour and buying a carpet python off him, like every time I went, um, I learned and kind of found my own way and kind of beat the path there. But it's like I became known locally and then started expanding it onto Mario Pythons, but I still didn't have any kind of know-it-all for half the people on uh, MP when we started uh, the podcast. So I felt like you knew more people than I did when we started, even though I had been breeding for like I think two years longer than you. So it was weird. Well, it was, uh, you know, in my experience when I was just getting into it, uh, I just felt that the best way to um, – the best way to sort of, uh, you know, just start out in carpet pythons is to talk to the person that is best associated with either that subspecies or a morph. And like I said, I mean, you know, just just for a frame of reference – I mean, when me and Owen were doing this and we first started yes. this podcast, you know, I I bought a tiger jag from Jason Balin and it was a thousand dollars. Oh my god, it was. It was a thousand dollars. Dude, Talon was a thousand dollars and he's just a jag. And yeah. like his babies this year are gonna be like a hundred bucks. So like it's like Yeah. <laughs> Oh, but, God. I mean, I remember, that I was producing jags that were seven hundred dollars a piece. Yeah, like, oh. but what you know, like tiger jags was the cutting edge morph yeah. at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so that that kind of gives you a whole. I mean, think about today. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many the, different crosses and combos. Yeah, <laughs> we don't you know what have. I mean? uh, so, so it's a you got to understand, you know that that point of reference. I mean, you know, I remember seeing a tiger jag and just being blown away, yeah, uh, by just the way it looked. And like, you know, you go to Will Leary's site and see, oh. you know, that tiger jag perched up on that perch or what he was calling at the time a super tiger the jag. Super tiger and you're jag. Just yeah. like, holy <laughs> shit, that's cool. So, they bred a tiger jag to a tiger, and then that one thing popped out looking crazy, and everything else looked like a tiger jag, and they were like the super tiger jag. But it's hilarious because 
the, 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 the morphs of carpets were so widespread that in order to get the tiger jag, it had to be done by a breeding loan. So it's like, because the tigers yeah. were with Balin and the jags were, the, were, were with Leary. So it's like hilarious to me. So, uh, so all right, we're going to take this question from um, the one from Casey that popped up in the chat. Um, Sweet. It says, Hey guys, I can't listen in as much tonight, but since you're doing a show for new keepers, I was wondering if you could touch on illness that you've dealt with. Like Duh. what symptoms you first noticed, care did you you did before a vet was needed, what uh, the vet prescribed, etc. He says, as an example, I know Owen put a snake with a mild RI in an incubator for treatment, and that really helped me early. Uh, helped me early this year when I made a, when I had a male get a little wheezy. So I don't know. You want to take that first, Owen? Yeah, I'll go because I've seen everything <laughs> or it seems like everything and the first thing i will say to everybody is do not panic calm down if you got to take a step back do small steps and deliberate steps and don't go crazy because you know and also if you're unsure of how to administer injections or dosing with drugs don't wing it go to a vet or talk to a vet in order to get it all stand, like get, get help. Don't just do it because I've actually done more harm with a bottle of Batril, uh than I think the RI called for. So what I would recommend is that obviously if we want to regurgitate the thing that Eugene Bissett says is be the student of the serpent, do that. If your snake's off, if not something's not right, your first gut instinct is normally your correct one. Is the something's not right. Where you get in trouble to be like, well, I'm going to see how it goes. It's, if something's not right, take the time and examine the animal and see what's wrong. My first indication of an RI is the tongue stops flicking. And when the tongue stops flicking or slows down, there'll be a little click noise. Uh, when they start flicking their tongue or when they're even not, when they're just sitting there, that's them swallowing all the built up saliva. You'll actually see them do that. Uh, and that is, in my opinion is the beginning. Um, and what I will normally do is uh, you can bump up the heat to the cage and, you know, nine times out of 10 bumping up the heat to a cage is going to wipe out what's going on with the RI immediately. Uh, in some cases they live in Iraq and you have no idea how this happens. It just kind of happens. You can't bump up heat to the entire rack because there's some animals that are doing fine in there. Um, that's when I will either try to get them into a different cage that I can alter the heat on, or I will get them into a bin and put them in the incubator. Uh, I know some of the guys in Australia actually have this like bird NICU thing that you can control the temperature, humidity, and can uh, aerosol most uh, or nebulize most uh, medications automatically. And I'm like, I want that thing. It's like 800 bucks though. So I'm kind of hesitant. <laughs> I'm waiting. Um, but what I'll do is I'll put them in a bin and I'll put them in the incubator. But the bin is normally not like, it's not like a normal uh, bin that they would live in. It's like one that they'll fit in. 
so they can't really kind of escape the heat. They're kind of stuck in there. Uh, I'll give them a bowl of water. I usually have a small ceramic in there, so they can't tip it over. They get they can drink and all other stuff, and then I'll just keep them in the incubator for a bit. Uh, the last three animals that had our eyes for me, uh, I didn't give them any drugs. I just put them in the incubator and let them ride it out, and they all are doing fine right now. Uh, one, I couldn't put in the incubator because she was a large female, uh, but I did just, she was in one cage, so I did turn up her panel and uh, there was no one in the cage below her, so I turned up that panel as well, and she ended up kicking it. So the first reaction I would say is calm down and try to try to sweat it out or heat them up. Um, don't go too far. Don't go too fast. Don't like be like 120 degrees because then you're going to open an entirely different can of horrible worms. Um, and I'd say that if they do not have improvement after, let's say, a week, so like what I would do, what I have done, is I'll put them in the incubator and I'll call my vet. And because th- th- no vet on the planet can get you in the next day, unless the, like that day, unless it's a horrible emergency. So I'll put them in the incubator and I'll call the vet and then I'll schedule an appointment for a week later. And then if they're not doing great, then they're going to go to the vet. And if they're doing better, uh, I'll maybe even cancel the appointment. Sometimes I'll bring them anyway, even if they are doing better. Um, the vet will know what drugs to uh, prescribe to you. I've been given everything from amicacin to Batril to, uh, God, what the hell, Tylen. And it just basically depends on what they feel is best as well as dosage size for the animal. Um, I don't like any in particular. I'm pretty sure Batril is the one to go with, but there are some drug-resistant stains of Batril. If you do end up going to the vet, uh, request a culture, because even if they send you home with Batril, they may come back and say that, hey, Tylen worked the best for this thing, and then you can swing back to your vet and get Tylen instead, and it'll give you the better uh, stuff to kind of kick it. If it starts turning into kind of like a mouth rot situation, and there's a lot of cheese, and I call it cheese, because that's kind of what it looks like, uh, basically green pus in their mouth, you got to clean that out. So the best way I found to clean it out is get cotton swabs dipped in a little bit of water, clean out all the mucus, but you also have to clean between the teeth. So what I've done for that is taken a paper towel and put it in a water solution with a few drops of betadine, folded it up really uh, thick, and then let the snake bite it. The teeth go right through the paper towel, doesn't hurt the teeth because a lot of times uh, by cleaning the mouth, you'll rip out teeth or they'll fall out and that's no good. They go right through the paper towel and all the betadine gets in between the teeth and cleans the entire mouth. And because it's diluted, it's actually pretty safe. Open up their mouth and then stick them back in their cage. They're going to, you know, be all huffy and kind of not too happy with you, but they'll be all right. Um, And that's kind of what I've done to uh, kick our eyes as well as other sicknesses. Anything else like prolapse, uh, a lot of that stuff I would say go to the vet. Um, and uh, there are a few things that you got to know when to call it and uh, do the humane thing so, and uh, put the animal down. But as far as our eyes go, shove them in the incubator. Eric, what do you gotcha. got? Yeah. 
Uh, whew, let's see. So I've had some weird stuff happen to me. I think <laughs> the first strange thing that I had was I had a brettle, a baby brettle python prolapse. That's horrible. Um, I tried the sugar water trick, mm-hmm. uh, but I think what had happened is uh, I, I didn't notice it soon enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, what had happened uh, is that it, the area got a little dry and uh, I wasn't able to save the animal. How did I notice it? Um, I had switched to... <laughs> I'd switch to pinks. This is what led me to move away from pinks and go right to hoppers. I was using pinks because somebody, that's what everybody was doing. Uh, So that's what I did. And I don't know if that's what caused it, but I have never had that issue knock on wood again, since I changed that up. Um, Let's see. Uh, probably the most devastating blow that I've ever experienced when uh, having carpets was poison ivy. No. Uh, basically, poison ivy is an IJ that was uh, a project that I was working on on high melanistic IJs. Um, and she had developed, she had ovulated way outside of what is the normal quote unquote time for carpet pythons. So, uh, she was let, she was ovulating in, I want to say the fall. I think so. If I remember. Yeah. Correctly. Because it was just going into breeding season. Um, and, uh, I, I you know, I, I noticed that she was outside of the time frame of, uh, her to have a shed and, uh, and she just didn't feel right. Um, mm. so one of the things that I would say is like, if you're handling your animals on any kind of routine basis, you know, I, I kind of got this when I did go to the vet before, um, I just right. watched how he sort of handled and checked and made sure that everything was okay. Feeling the belly, feeling the, you know, the, you know, the top of the snake, uh, looking at, uh, the breathing, uh, checking out the nostrils, looking at the eyes, all these things that before that time I never really did in depth, I guess, uh, to give a, an mm-hmm. overall assessment of the animal's health. I mean, I could look at an animal and say, you know, one way or the other, as far as if it looked bad or not, but I'm talking about like an animal that you have in your collection every day and like really getting a feel for what's normal and what's not normal. And, you know, it took a while to sort of learn, but as soon as it would be not the norm, uh, that's when I would probably go to somebody and ask the question, you know, um, obviously back then there was no carpet Python discussion page. So you would just email somebody or talk to them on the phone. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what else? I've had RIs. I've done the trick that Owen has done, and that's worked pretty pretty solid for me. Um, I think the one thing that kind of threw me off with respiratory infections and uh, is just that noise that sometimes carpets make right before they're going to shed. Um, right. They sort of get like a, a 
what would you call it, Owen? A pop? No, not really a pop. It sounds it, like a respiratory. It sounds infection. like the click. You know, and the, and I've had it where, dude, the albinos kick my ass on it all the time. Where uh, I'll, I'll like, he'll go into a shed, and it's hard to tell that he's in a shed, and he just starts kind of like wheezing a little bit or clicking or sounds, you know, huffy. And then I'm yeah. like, oh god, and then I'm like, all right, listen, if you don't shed within a week, you and I are gonna have a problem. And then like a week later, there's you know there's skin in his. Cage. I'm like, all right, we're good. Falls along. One thing that I've noticed with Moralia in general, I've noticed this on carpets, I've noticed this on chondros, I've noticed this on, well, when scrubs were in the thing, is that no longer. Um, their heads, like, swell big time yes. when they are going to go into a shed. And I think that is why you're hearing those those noises and, and sounds and stuff and how someone could be afraid that it definitely is a respiratory infection when indeed it's not. But I would always say to err on the side of caution. Um, and with time, you'll sort of learn, you know, what is and what is not. Um, I was lucky that I had a good reptile vet that was right by me. So when yep. I did, I, I had this with Burmese pythons and, um, uh, that's how I I learned because Burmese pythons are very susceptible to uh, respiratory infections, um, especially when they put on some size and they don't really yeah. get a lot of exercise. But uh, so uh, what else? Um, so poison ivy, yeah, she. Uh, so here's a, here's an observation, uh, people. Uh, so when we went to look at her and did the inspection of her close up, her one nostril was bigger than the other nostril. So Mm -hmm. she was susceptible to respiratory infections, uh, a lot easier than, yeah. yeah. So she had had one before and I noticed, I don't know if you noticed this Owen, but it seems to me like if I get an animal that has a respiratory infection and, unless I address the issues as far as the environment, um, whenever I put would go into breeding season, that animal would get that respiratory infection again. I would agree. Um, only because, uh, but, and, and, and this is the thing where it's like, it's weird for me because last year I got a ton of them, but that was my, you know, it was, it was still kind of trying to feel out the room and all that other crap. So it's like this year I had like one out of my females and I had one boy who was a stubborn idiot get it and that's it. So I'm knocking on wood and praying and, and thanking everything that it's worked out well this year. But, uh, and I, and I would completely agree that it's probably because I did deal with a lot of the draft issues and the husbandry issues that I had from having a brand new room, not really knowing how everything would work out. You know, I added a fan. I actually built up the door. I spent five grand and replaced the furnace and the goddamn AC. Yeah. So (laughs) basically we got it. So there's a lot that you can do to kind of figure this stuff out. And once you get it set and once they are comfortable, I, I, the one female that got in our eye was, uh, the brand new female I picked up at October Tinley. So 
that was my own stupid fault thinking that I could take her home from living at somebody else's place and throw her right into my breeding cycles without letting her chill and acclimate to how I do things. So I don't really expect too many problems from her next year, but you better believe I'm going to be keeping an eye on her. So, right. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I've also, the last thing, and again, this is, uh, <laughs> when you start breeding animals, now you're, you're going into a whole oh, other world. God. <laughs> uh, you, you gotta eggs, have, when yeah, you, first, you gotta have a when you, stomach, it's like, because one of the worst things you could possibly do to your collection is attempt to breed it because there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So, Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, what was I saying? The, the uh, oh, the eggs. Yeah. So I remember the first year that I was breeding, uh, I was going to do maternal incubation, and <laughs> I remember the IJ went went smooth as could be. Yeah. Next up was my well, red tiger, <laughs> and then the red tiger uh, sort of uh, had some eggs sitting outside of her coils, and I just panicked like you wouldn't believe. Now that I have more experience, I don't look at the eggs as as delicate as I thought that they no. were you're, back yeah. then, if Do that you, makes sense. No, you're completely correct, because like, you, like, when you mix up your substrate for the incubator – did you used to measure? Uh, no, and I'll tell you why. Because that first year I, I did maternal incubation with all of the clutches. Um, one of them, well, that's one that I'm talking about, proved that, yeah. you know. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you this story. I mean, we joke about the fact that, you know, I was going to do maternal incubation and it failed. And I had to borrow right. Owen's incubator and all that. But – some of the details of that was, uh, was left out. So, um, I had to somehow figure out how I was going to get this clutch of eggs from my house to yep. Owen's house. Which this is back when we time, were 15 Owen, minutes apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was 15 minutes away. So, right. but it was freezing cold outside. So really? how do I take those eggs and get them to yeah. Owen's house without losing any because of temperature how do i keep it at a stable temperature without you know being prepared for this you know so my first advice would be if you're going to breed have your incubator ready even if you're not going to use it just in case that's number one number two i would say uh what i did is i got a towel and i put it in a dryer yeah and i I was like really really warm like artificial mom (laughs) <laughs> and I just wrapped I, I put the the clutch in a in an egg box in a you know, like a uh what was it, maybe like a six quart tub or something yeah. like that. Uh and I set it up like you would set up eggs and I wrapped it all up and I put that inside a cooler. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I put the cooler in my car and then I, I drove to Owen's house and barred his incubator. Uh so, I got my wait. balls busted for the next <laughs> a year ever, ever, years. You're never, ever. But yeah. now imagine if like you and I still live like 15 minutes apart 
and like say your incubator broke and you had one clutch in it now, like would you just walk to the car with the box eggs? <laughs> like is it just like all right, whatever? I'll run the heat while we're on our way. You guys will be fine. Like I probably would have a little more. <laughs> care than that but i wouldn't be as insane as i was with saying that these temperatures have to be you know right and what, what, what really kind of sucks is that if i remember correctly you were concerned because she didn't coil like two eggs or something like that yeah so that's and, the that's another part of the story is yeah that, that we leave out i panicked <laughs> i panicked right because everybody was telling me to pull the eggs you know, I'm sending text messages to all these different people, and they're like, well, if she's not got a good wrap on them, then pull them. I should have just left her with the eggs because the eggs that came out were no good. We're bad. So yeah, well, it like, led me to believe that the female knows more than we uh, think. But that's not always the case. Like sometimes no. they push eggs out and they're, they end up hatching. So I don't want to lead people to believe that – if mom pushes them out of the coils, that somehow they're all bad. That's not the case. But what I should have did is I should have just pulled those eggs yeah. that came out, the two, and took that to Owen's house, thinking that they're gonna go. They're you're gonna lose any. You're gonna lose them anyway. Like I guess now my mentality is is that you know I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure that I think I've been given this responsibility by you know breeding these animals that I have to accept this responsibility that I have to take care of these animals the best that I can. Yes. And you know uh, you know et cetera. However, that being said, when you're first starting out, you're sort of in this mindset that, you know, everything is so delicate and everything is so, <laughs> even your snakes that you have, like, oh my God, it's, I can't do this. I can't do that. I mean, and when you start to have these experiences, like uh, a carpet python's egg in the overduct and, you know, it's oh, sort of like God. coming out, uh, uh. You know, situations like this lead you to sort of like, okay, this shit is going to happen. So... <laughs> Let's just try to fix it and move forward, uh, type of deal. So, snake keeping is experiences. You're you're going yeah. to go through them, and you're going to have you're going to hit every single one of these experiences. And if you have not yet, it's because you haven't reached that level yet. But you will. I promise you, you will. Um, yeah. And and each one is more terrifying than the last. And you yeah. have to have one of those moments where. Something happens in front of you. You have at least five seconds of sheer panic, and then you got to get to work because the animal, you're the only person who can do anything to correct the situation because you're the only one there. So, yeah. um, like I, I had this year, um, Venus, I came into her sitting on her clutch in a pool of blood. I'm like, that's a new one. Thank you. Like, well, <laughs> okay, <clears throat> what, what now? So it's. Like and it's these are the experiences that you can that you get through breeding and keeping over numerous years, and you know you're gonna have growing pains, you're gonna have experiences, you're gonna lose animals that were near and dear to your heart, you're gonna have to do something you didn't think you could do, uh, you know, and you're you're but you're gonna get better. The whole thing is that if you have these tragedies or these trials or something like that and then you never get better, you never change, then you're not doing it correctly. But if you learn each time, you're going to be a better keeper, you're going to be a better breeder, and 
you're 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 on your way. So Yeah, definitely. Riley, you got any uh situations uh, as far as health Horrible or anything? experiences? Tell us. <laughs> uh, I honestly haven't had too many. Um Fortunately, but I think that's just because, like you said, I I don't have the amount of years under my belt like you guys. But um, uh, I think I've had two RIs in my collection in the last three or four years. Um, had one bout of mites. Uh, uh, he said yeah, the word. <laughs> the forbidden word. Yeah. Um, I, the, both RIs are treated differently, um, and both seem to be successful. And like you said, there's different strains of these bacteria that are responsive to others. But, you know, I had an RI in a female during breeding season, and I treated her with, um, I think I got Fortaz or Batril. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. They're, they're pretty much the same thing. Uh, and did that that orally because the ejection sites can burn and they're pretty painful and you can really piss off your snake and orally you piss them off a little less, I guess. I don't know. You can really damage scales. Yeah. You can really damage scales with that stuff. So. Yeah. That stuff burns. You can, you can burn, um, you know, a site to the point where you have permanent scarring depending on how many injections you give. Um, I had like, a 30 second prolapse and then it resolved itself. So that's my experience of a prolapse before, (laughs) um, in a green tree, but you know, um, very fortunate that it kind of fixed itself in front of my eyes while I was panicking. And then, um, but I have seen some things at work. Um, and I, you know, I won't, I won't go too into detail, but I've seen signs that, uh, alerted me to an impending respiratory infection and because I knew what to look for I was able to get that animal on treatment uh, with our vet staff before anything happened and nothing happened um, as a result of it and what actually cued me was um, some funky colored looking urates like green urates and the slightest little like nasal wheeze from an animal that was like 20 years old has been healthy as an ox and got it on treatment and, and that was as far as it got so that was nice um and the only reason I knew what to look for is because I'd been asking around and and reading up on things and, um, you know, just co- collaborating with a lot of people and collecting resources and kind of reading into them in my free time. Um, maybe, uh, Riley, real quick, maybe you can go into uh, a little more in depth of the green urates. Like, what, what are you talking about with that? And what okay. what is that a signal of? Well, it's it's not always a signal of something wrong. Um, getting back to what you were saying, knowing the animal and what that animal's normal is is a big part of that. Um, so this animal is uh, – we have a Burmese python that I work with who's 21 years old, and he's, uh, he's a stud. He's super healthy and never has issues with anything. And his urates are always that very typical, like, melted marshmallow white. And – uh, I think for a week I was seeing more urates in little bouts, and instead of them being white, they were like fluorescent green. Um, and it was unusual to me because in like four years of working with that animal, I'd never seen anything but white urates very seldom and not in that frequency. So, it, you know, that was the first red flag for me. And then 
he actually, I think, might have even refused a meal, which is also odd. Um, and then I started, you know, looking at everything else in the collection, or, or excuse me, his uh, his enclosure, heat, and um, you know, paying attention to what time of year it was and how dry or moist it was that time of year, and how the building was behaving and things. And so, the the green urates was just it was out of the ordinary for that animal. I wouldn't say that green urates from a snake is you know, automatically a respiratory infection, but uh, it was it's definitely uncommon. Thinking about it, I don't I don't see green urates in in the majority of snakes that I've worked with. So um, right, yeah. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to take you off track of what you're saying. I just you know, I, thinking of it from the beginner standpoint, they might you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean it comes it comes down to knowing your animal too. Um, I have one animal who. Uh, anytime I interact with her for the first like couple minutes of like opening her enclosure, there's this little like sort of startle uh, that she has and she's sort of on edge for a few minutes until she settles down and she has the very, very slightest little nasal wheeze. And I think to anybody else, you'd be like, Oh my gosh, she's, she got an RI and it, that's normal for her. Cause you know, within the first few minutes of handling, she stops doing it. Uh, it's just like the, the intense breathing while she's figuring out if I'm a predator trying to, you know, eater or if, you know, everything's all good. So knowing your animal is, is half the battle and it cut, you know, if you raise an animal up from the baby, you get years of experience with that for that particular animal. So that helps a lot. Yeah, that's true. But, cool. uh, I've seen, I've seen weird stuff. I've seen, uh, egg binding, uh, egg binding is horrible and it's, it's very, it, it, it's hard to catch cause it's, if it happens right at the right time, you're like, oh, they're just gravid. And it's like, wait, you missed everything. And then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. So, yeah. And that's hard. So, yeah, definitely. Um, this particular situation was even worse because it was an animal that was uh, found, is now part of our collection in an education animal, a Madagascar hognose, who's one of my favorites. And um, she found locally brought to the zoo years ago, ID'd, and just things weren't right with her. Um, just mm-hmm. unusual body appearance, fluid, lethargic behavior, scars, weirdness, uh, weird appetite, weird bowel movements and things. And, you know, a year or so of veterinary exams and medication until we finally sort of figured it out. And we realized it was because the eggs were so far putrefied and like petrified and just rotten in there for whatever reason I think the density was just right where they didn't show up on x-rays multiple times um and then we finally caught them I don't remember how to be honest um and she had surgery and we removed them I mean you're talking about eggs that look like they've been smashed together like a smashed car in a car wreck and they were just gray and hard as rock they'd probably been in there for a year I don't know how this animal survived and she did, and she's alive today, and this was nearly, you know, seven years ago or something like that, that she came into the collection, if not more, and so it's not, it doesn't always end bad, but yeah, that was, that was a fortunate ending to a potentially fatal uh, medical condition for that animal. Um, yeah. I've seen things that are preventable and things that are not. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty OCD with my cleaning. I do... Uh, AM and PM checks for my entire collection on a daily basis. Uh, and that's just because I've seen 
how being lax on cleaning and disinfecting can go wrong. You know, most people don't know, but like blister disease, when your animal mm. scales get the, they get these weird little bumps all over. It looks like they've got the chicken pox or like, like yep. the scene from the mummy when like the beetles, the scarabs going to the yep. skin and they're all over the place. Um, and then you're holding your animal and you're like, why is my hand wet? And you realize these little pustules are bursting, bursting. on the skin. Yep. And it's all, you know, I did some research into it because I worked for a gentleman who had it come up once or twice in his collection. Um, and it was, it's simply because of a, an excess amount of bacteria in the environment that the animal is not able to escape from that causes dirty or filthy living conditions. Uh, and it's kind of along the lines of scale route, I guess, but um, a little bit different. And it's, it's super easy to prevent. It's all about just being clean. Yep. So it can develop then, into scale rot. Um, yeah, yeah, when, it can get bad. I've seen it kill babies. Yeah, I, I've seen it on. I had my first brush with it in college. I got my girlfriend an IJ, and mm-hmm. uh, we bought it from, of course, a dealer at one of the shows who had no idea who had picked it up that morning. Um, mm-hmm. And it, we got it home, and it just burst out with these blisters like the next week. And then I right. had to, you know, mix it up and soak it in iodine until all the blisters popped. And I had to keep it in unclean everything, bleached out this, clean all that. And it was a horrible, like, two, three months of trying to keep this thing alive. And it did eventually kick and it was good. And then I ran into it again a few years ago when I had a bunch of babies that just fell in love with their water bowls and would never right. get out of their goddamn water. So yeah. I had to, like ration their waters to get them away from it so right but they eventually stopped doing what that was doing and then they were fine with it too so it's it's a weird thing that like i said it's stuff that unless you're working with reptiles for a certain point or long enough you might never see but if you do see and you can figure it out and that's one more thing in your arsenal too i know what this is i know what this could turn into and I know how to prevent it. So, yeah, that's also where the value of quarantine comes into play. Yes. Too. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know about it when I first started, and then as soon as I did, I realized how lucky I had been getting up until that yeah. point, probably. Um, you know, and, and with animals at work, everything gets quarantined minimum thirty days or ninety days or some. You know, we've quarantined animals for years just because, yeah. you know, how slow acting they're you know, for reptiles in particular, how slow acting their, uh, their body systems are. I mean, things can, you could do all the tests for one particular thing and get a bunch of negative. And all of a sudden a year later you get a positive and now you're not sure which tests were, you know, false positives or false negatives or what was mm-hmm. going on. So, uh, reptiles are kind of funky like that. You just, it's, it's better to play it safe. Uh, even if it's going to cost you a little extra in, in the setup, I have a, you know, a four cage quarantine setup with one large enclosure and a few, um, uh, smaller tanks for smaller animals that I just have on standby at any given time that I can just plug in really quick and set up in a sterile environment that's on the other side of the place from my collection. And it gets serviced entirely different with a separate set of tools and gloves and disinfectants and gets done last or not at all that day, depending on what's going on. And, Mm -hmm. um, because I work with reptiles at work, um, you know, I don't ever 
in the morning when I get up and check on things, I, you know, do it before I get in my work clothes. And then when I get home, I, you know, change out of those and shower and get fully cleaned and stuff in, in a different room before I even go into that room. And, um, you know, it's just taking that extra step to make sure nothing happens. And, you know, some people might, you know, forego that and get lucky and never have to deal with issues. And some people do all the right things and still experience that crap. So, yeah. Um, sometimes it just, sometimes it just happens. I mean, there's nothing you can do about all of it. Some of it's just spontaneous and weird. I mean, it, it is what it is. That's that's working with animals for you. It is, and I'm yep. very much of that. If you can set up any kind of quarantine, like if you have one dedicated snake room, if you can de- set up a rack somewhere and just use that just just to do something, because there's so many things that can go wrong, and it's there's so many things that could rip through your collection and you know, you're putting it at risk. So it would be awesome if you could, I've, when I couldn't do a quarantine, I had a quarantine set up at a friend's house. So they would go to his place for like a month. And then after a while and everything seemed okay, then I'd bring them into the collection. So it's, and that wasn't ideal because there's a lot of factors there. You're not taking into account, but some sort of quarantine, I think, is essential. If you're gonna, if, even not just even with carpet pythons in general, if you're going to keep a large a large amount of reptiles, so. Yeah, I mean, quarantine can be used for mammals and birds and mm-hmm. fish and everything else too. I mean, quarantine is just good practice if you can if you can make it work. Um, yeah. Even if it's like even if you know I know people who live in studio apartments that you know they they quarantine things basically opposite corners of, of their space and it works. Uh, it's mm. better than nothing. I'll tell you that. Um, so, you know, even the littlest bit of effort can, can make a big difference, but some stuff, it's just, you, you could, you could quarantine better than anybody on the planet and stuff. Yeah. Still gonna how get it goes. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the thing to make sure that we, that, was is said during the quarantine thing is the fact that you shouldn't use the same equipment on the animals that you're quarantining with the animals that are in your collection because if you do yeah. then the quarantine is useless <laughs> i mean right. you're going to use the same snake hook and you know you're cross contaminating uh water bowls and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and whatever, then you're just gonna run into a problem even though you may have the snakes in a separate room. So it's pretty important to do I would say the quarantine animals last or on a different day, uh yep. just so you're not going back into your snake room and transmitting whether it be uh simple as mites or as, you know, God forbid some kind of virus or something. Um, so, just yeah. my two cents. Speaking yeah. of that, you throw word, throw acronyms around like IBD, and people who know what that is will like just ban conversation from me. Like, nope, 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 nope. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> a toxic word, and then some people don't know what it is, and all of a sudden everything freaks them out. Um, yeah, it can get bad. See, I, I actually, I saw a case of IBD in an animal once and I like kind of just suggested that that could be going on thinking it was, you know, like after I said it, I was like, eh, I probably shouldn't open my mouth. It could be a whole host of other things. What do I know? 
And then turns mm-hmm. out, you know, a couple months later, found out it was IBD. It was like, oh, crap. I hate the yeah. fact that I was right. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that stuff's horrible. And that was in a collection. perfect, immaculate, tons of quarantine procedures, separation, testing, regular, I mean, everything. And it still happened. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen IBD in person. I've seen the BOA equivalent that like stargazing and all that craziness. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. That is IBD. I know. But well, it's yeah. In the BOA. <laughs> Supposedly IBD started in, like you said, oh, the stargazing right. like corn snakes. Um, yeah. Oh. And, oh. and I, I haven't read much to confirm that. I've only read one speculative personal like, second-hand experience right. about it. So it wasn't all that credible, but it's generally regarded as strictly uh, a thing that affects boids, so the python and boa family. Um, I saw it in a red-tailed boa, and, man, yeah. it was sad. It so was really, it. really sad. So from my understanding, um, and again, I'm no expert on IBD at all, but um, from the people that have talked about having it, Pythons usually die very quickly mm, from IBD, quickly. where mm-hmm. where boas do not. I mean, they could carry it for a long time, which is yeah. uh, so. When I was going to get some boas, that made me very nervous about bringing boas into the collection, um, and why I sort of stuck with pythons. But I would say that if you're going to get into boas, one thing I would recommend. Uh, if you want to be, you know, feel a little bit better, I don't, I don't know if this would make you feel better actually, I guess, but if you're dealing with somebody that has boas and pythons and their pythons are still kicking, probably more than likely. Oh, you're going to use their pythons as the canary in the coal mine, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> if their pythons are I dead, don't, don't buy their boas. Okay. Honestly, man. Honestly, I don't I don't even know if that has any accuracy at all. That's just something that I had in my mind. Probably and it not. It seemed to be uh well, it just made sense in as far as like if boas are carriers and like right. they don't necessarily uh show symptoms right away, um then if they had boas and pythons and pythons die right away, like if you had somebody like Vin Russo who's has ball pythons too, if all of a sudden he's not breeding ball pythons anymore, huh? Probably a big yeah. flag. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's the uh, What's the new one? The snake fungus or whatever the hell it's kicking yeah. around out snake there now. Fung- the fungal disease. Yeah, that's a new one yeah. to worry about. That one's popping up in wild animals currently, which is why it's puzzling a lot of uh, the scientists and, and veterinary people working on that because it just seems spontaneous. Yeah. Um, it, on the topic of IBD, um, I did, you know, I, I've talked to people about it and then all of a sudden they freak out like, Oh my God, I just got this bow from this guy and he's not a big name breeder. Should I be worried? And, you know, it sends people into a panic when they figure out how severe it is. I, I yeah. think it's a pretty low odds occurring thing. So I don't want people to hear this and freak out and like never get into boas because of it, because icons can get it too, frankly, and, and anything can get it. Um, I mean, just assume any reptilian pathogen is transferable to everything. Just operate under that guise and, you know, take extra steps. But um, uh, within the last, I think, two years, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, last couple of years, 
they now can test for it. Prior to that, the only way you could confirm it was with a deceased specimen doing a tissue sample or a biopsy from uh, the, I think it was either the brain or the heart. I believe um, it was something the brain. That you couldn't do well. But, yeah, something that yeah, you couldn't do while the animal. Yeah, something you can't do it alive. Yeah. But now you can, um, you can have blood samples tested. And I believe the, there's one place in Florida and there might be a second lab in Texas that um, you can send samples to. I think it was a University of Florida discovery. I, I could be mis, misspeaking on that one, but I know it came from Florida, this new test that can confirm uh, accurate uh, presence of IBD from a live animal blood uh, sample. So fortunately, things have advanced in the last few years. So I don't want people to hear this and go, well, I'm never getting bows again or anything like that. And it, the risk is there, whether you know about it, whether it's testable, whether it's cure for it or not. So I don't, right. I don't think people need to freak out necessarily about it. Sure. It's a pretty high, it, like you said, the risk of it is pretty low, but it's something to think about. And again, this is why you have quarantine procedures put in place. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be wary. Of, and people were especially, you know, I, you talk to anybody who's a breeder or is shooting to be a breeder, we're all very proud of our collections. What, no matter how big they are or what animals they include, we're all very proud and very happy with our collections. And I'm pretty sure it would gut me if an animal I brought in that I didn't quarantine ended up passing something to my collection and killing all of it or most of it. Yeah. So, yeah. You don't ever want to be in that position. So simple quarantine procedures could end up saving your entire you just reptile collection. So Yeah, you might spend a few hundred bucks up front for the preventative stuff, but it'll save yeah. you thousands of dollars. In thousands. Time. I know of people that have spent thousands of dollars uh, trying to keep animals alive uh, through various reasons or you know, this, that, or the other thing, just to lose the animal anyway. So, and it's something you got to understand is that bills can rack up and surgeries are expensive. So, and you got to be prepared for this stuff. Saying don't, if you, if you don't have the stomach for this stuff, don't breed your animals. Just, just be a keeper, have your fun with your collection, you know, cause you could very seriously, uh, a lot of stuff can go wrong with breeding. Lots of stuff. So. Yep. Yeah. So let's see. We got. What's next on the list? We got about a half hour left. Just a little under a half hour. So we we'll probably have maybe two, three questions. Sweet. I think uh, one that sticks out to me is perching. I don't know if there's something, um, Riley, that you think is uh, something that's a better question than others. Oh, I think it's a, a very valid one to to bring up, especially when people are first getting into carpets and they read that they're semi-arboreal. They think, uh-oh, mm-hmm. I can't right. use a rag. i got to put them in this, and they got to go tall. And, um, again, know your animals. Not every animal perches. Some do, some don't. Um, yep. I've tried it with adults and given them, you know, huge log segments and things and have them not used them for months. And then it's like, ah, crap, that was a waste of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that babies will use them a bit. 
but it really does depend on the animal. Um, I offer uh, hatchlings and young animals perching if if they're not settling in or if they're newborns, just to give them options. Um, if an animal's not eating or doing something weird, just switch it up, throw a hide and go perch and see if that makes a difference because every animal has as much personality as you and I do. Unfortunately, we can't pick their brain and figure out exactly what they need. Sometimes just something that simple is helpful. So there's no there's no right or wrong to perching. It's just whether or not the animal's going to use it or not. Right. I would, I would agree because um, I've had, like, massive logs that have gone through, like, almost like a green tree python uh, perch made out of, like, they, they were old macaw perches from the zoo I used to work for because macaws would chew on the end and the perch would be too short for the cage. So I'd bring them home and they're all like perfectly carved in sanded wood and they would fit in there. And I only ever had one animal use them as a perch, but she never came off of it. And she sat like a carpet, like a green tree python on it all the time. She even laid her eggs. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a photo of a retic using one uh, today that looked like a green tree. Exactly. Different. Different walks, uh, different strokes for different folks, you know? Exactly. But then, you know, I find that carpet pythons might use a shelf more than a perch. So I have their boxes for all my adults are big bins that they can crawl inside of because the hole is in the front. And they can also curl up on top of the lid. And I have some that get on top of that lid and are happiest clams on top and I almost never see them inside. And I have ones that are inside all the time and just poke their heads out every once in a while. Um, and then I have some who go underneath the box and flip it over. It's like they, there's different, everybody likes to do different things. So just trying to give them options for what makes them feel the most comfortable um, is what's best. But I say shelves above purchase. Yeah. Especially for bigger I- animals. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my experience has been when it comes to perching is, um, that, um, especially with, uh, babies, um, I don't offer a perch per se, but I use 16 ounce deli cups for their water bowls. And what I find is they sort of perch right off the water bowl. Um, and I find that, uh, if I had a, a, a baby that was difficult, uh, to get started uh, on food, uh, if I were to offer a perch, um, that somehow the fact that they're looking down on the prey, um, you know, would get them to eat. It's not always a, a always a solution, but it has worked for me in the past. Now, there's like <clears throat> they make um, uh, David Brahms, I believe, is the guy. Right, he's the yeah, guy that makes those, those 3D are, perches. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the fit those right are cool. into F3D the uh, or something. Yeah, yeah Bill had a few right into. They, yeah, they fit right into the whatever tub size that you're using or whatever, and they're like, you know, it's real easy to, you know, it's real easy with chondros because you can just pull them out and they just sort of stay there still. Probably not so much with carpet pythons. They're not going to just. They might chill there for a minute or two, but once they realize they're out of the tub or they're going to, you know, take off. In my opinion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, two different animals there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, um, uh, 
you can get those little uh, gardening mesh from gardening stores and cut segments of and use that or uh, corrugated yeah. tube and cut that. I mean, you can get it straight mm-hmm. if you want with it. Yeah. Uh, the thing for well, what I did for my green trees and for the rough scales when they were babies is I had these buddy Bashemi showed me these little things. They're actually for zip tying uh, wires to like walls and stuff. They're like square. And then they have a, a cutout of a square thing and they stick onto the sides of the tubs. And then you take the straight part of a plastic coat hanger and you kind of stick it in the middle and it's like a removable locking perch. So yeah, I've used green tree, yeah, little green tree babies on there and you pop out the perch and then you can move the green and pop it right back in. Uh, I found the roughies could care less about a perch unless it's something big and flat. So if you got a big ass branch that they can kind of bask on like, they'll use it. If it's a thin little stick, they don't want to freaking touch it. So that's just with them. I would say it's also important to know the natural history of the animal that you're working with. For instance, roughies are one that I think rock. about only because what's that? Like they, they like yeah. rock outcroppings yeah. and things like that. Right. So, you know, yeah, they're not tiny person ain't going to do well. it. What's been observed is they don't yeah. really perch in trees per se, but uh, not like chondros. So yeah. I don't know why they got that uh, that whole why they got that whole like image. Uh, but uh, I don't know. My adults, I don't have any perching at all for any of them. I, and I do not they either. Do just fine. So. Is it something that they might use from time to time? Sure. But I find adults, my adults don't perch. So I moved away from even providing it, but that's just my experience. Yeah. Uh, Try it out. And then if you don't like it, move away from it. Yeah. What about, okay. Do you want to go more breeding or more keeping? Breeding. Tis the season. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. How big or how old do my carpet pythons need to be for breeding? Oh, for the love. All right. Um, <laughs> Not supposed regret, to say that, I re- Owen. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, good question. Uh, I regret this decision. Anyway, I will tell anybody, and this is just my personal opinion, for girls – you should wait until the animal is four years old to breed her. Now, I know there's probably several people screaming at their little listening devices saying that, oh, no, I bred my girl at three, three and a half, four years old. So I will wait till the girl is four. A boy, on the other hand, (laughs) you can try breeding him at 18 months old if he's willing, ready to go. And producing sperm, that's fine. You're never going to hurt the boy by breeding him early. The girl, you could do a lot of damage. Uh, they're more prone to egg binding, uh, prolapsing. A lot of bad stuff can happen there. So, four years for a girl, 18 months, maybe two years old for a boy. And as far as weights and sizes, I don't know. I didn't ever really measure anybody. I just go by if they're large enough to take on a large or medium rat, they're usually about the right size. So, 
I go I by their hate. Great question. Oh. Yeah. Go, oh, ahead, go for it. No, no, no. Uh, go ahead. I just, I think Love it's a God, great question talk. because I think a lot of people. Um, uh, I don't mean to say this in a negative or condescending tone because let's face it, we've all uh, dabbled in in royal pythons, and I and I started breeding them first. Uh, I was keeping me, other things sir. before. I don't know who the um, hell you're talking about, but <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people in 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 ball python really like to fixate on the weights for females. It's got to be mm-hmm. 1500 grams, and a male has to be minimum 500 grams. And I think that probably got started because somebody was seeing like a trend that they were getting success when the animals were a minimum of that size. And I think it's good to pay attention to that, but I think what that does is forces people to rush to get to those numbers, and then when you know, they hit there, it's like, boom, you know, they immediately start breeding. And I think you've really just got to know your animals, look at body condition, how consistently they've been feeding and how big are they and how mature are they. And, um, you know, I, one of the things for me is like right now I'm, you know, thinking about next season uh, and who I want to try and get going and focus on their feeding regimen in order to make that happen. And I look at them, and the first thing I look at is would they be able to pass an egg? Mm. Um, you know, and, and I know they can stretch and they have very elastic skin. And they can push huge things out and take huge things in and this and that. But, um, you know, maturity, I, I really liked what you said, Owen, about having them females minimum of four years. I tried breeding females at three and a half that didn't go. And, um, you know, a small sample size is, is my experience. So by no means is that, you know, a good rule of thumb to go by just based on my experience. But, um, yeah, they do better when they're older and more mature, I think. I, I guess I'll, I'll say that's a premature observation for me because I have, you know, only a couple of years of experience. So. Yeah, I would say I have bred carpets at three years old, females at three. Um, not because of anything other than I was focused on weight and not, you know, back in the early MP days, there was – you know, like a breeding manual, so to speak, that somebody typed up. I think it was actually Jim uh, that typed it up. And, um, you know, it was all about weights and not really focusing on age. Um, but in my time now, in my experience, I would agree. I would wait four years. Um, so I, I, I find with me, the maturity comes, you look at an animal, their head Carpets seem to have big bulky heads when they're adults mm-hmm. and you can have a 3000 gram, uh, snake and the head is not right. So like I have a Darwin female that, um, I mean, she's, she's on track to, you know, to, to really, she's like really gaining size. She's in that spot where you start feeding a small rat, and they, they just start, you know, you know what I'm talking about, where they just start packing on size. But the yeah. one spot that she doesn't really show any, um, you know, like she's growing is um, in her head. And that's something that I, I, I don't, I have it on my website, I believe. I have that, um, like the difference between like an adult um, carpet. Now, like my my main citrus tiger female, she's got to be maybe four foot. So she's small snake, but her head is huge. 
So I always use her as an example because people would look at length or size or whatever, and you would say, oh, she's not ready. But she's laid four or five clutches. So I don't know. Uh, males, yeah. I'm in that camp that I've bred them as small as 600 grams. <laughs> living, in a, yeah, living, living in a freaking deli cup, they can breed. Yeah, get over here, Holy you. crap. Yeah. Yeah, 600 grams. Um, and not other than, you know, this is how I look at males, right? So you start your breeding season, you know, you start to cool down, whatever, whatever you're – if you see males cruising – you walk into your room at night, and they're cruising around. I'm giving it a shot. The worst yeah, like, that can happen is he doesn't do it, or he gets chased out of the cage. But it's like yeah. he, if if he sheds in their sperm plugs, he's good to go. Like he's ready to roll. So, and what you do is just start checking the the sheds around the time when you start pairing male males and females. And if somebody's on the fence, he'll let you know. Um, this next year I may actually pair my water pythons and my male is tiny. So we'll see how he does, but. I mean, oh, and you've seen my males. I mean, again, if I go back to citrus tigers and you look yes. at my female as compared to my male, my male is like maybe 800 grams. Yeah. You're, you're. My They're small. small. Yeah. My, uh, my smallest females are like your biggest ones. So it's like, yeah. Um, and then your boys are, they're like the size of my yearlings, like my my like my two year olds, and I'm like they might go. You're like, roll baby, get in there. So yeah, it just depends on what you're doing. It depends on everybody's personal preference. And honest to God, having done a lot of dealings with you and seen your collection, you can kind of see where my collection was when before we started the show and where it is now. I don't get my animals nearly as big as I used to. So, it just it, no, I got I, tired of the thirty egg clutches of all from one animal. So yeah, and I think the other part of it is is that I think that I don't know. I would imagine that snakes are no different than people when it comes to being overweight and being unhealthy and not being mm-hmm. able to reproduce. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just look at that from that aspect. Um, so. Well, we didn't have any callers that. Damn it! Uh, Luckily, we brought Riley okay. as a safety net. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Well, I think that at least that. I mean, we had some questions, um, and and hopefully, um, you know, I know sometimes people are afraid to call into these things and they get nervous and and whatnot. But uh, we're very intimidating people. I don't know. You know. <laughs> So I don't know, maybe we'll try it again or whatever, but um, I think that uh, at least we're answering questions that people routinely answer when they, when they come into it. Maybe somebody can use it as a reference uh, if a topic like this comes up or what, you know what I mean? I don't know. Hopefully it helps some people out there because at the end of the day, like I said, we've all been in those beginner spots, you know, mm-hmm. we've all been beginners of at, at some point. And uh, even people that you think are the experts, you know, are still continuing to learn. And, uh, you know, uh, that's that's the cool thing about this hobby is like, you know, it's at least for me, it's it's just like uh, you, you're constantly 
learning. And just when you think you got to figure it out, you're throwing a curveball. So, yep. Uh, kind of makes it yeah, fun. Everyone should always be learning. And, and I've, I've had people um, mistake me for some sort of like old school, uh, you know, decade plus of experience under my belt because um, I'm like active in the discussion board a bit. And so I think perceptions can like intimidate people, but it's interesting because I'm constantly experiencing this. I, I see these names that like, I've always revered as big name experienced people. And I talk to them, they're just normal guys and they're totally cool talking with you and or normal guys and gals. I'll be PC on that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they're just normal folks that like, like what they do and they're happy to share and uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. That's kind of the whole point of the discussion board. Um, it's frustrating when we get the, what is my carpet question a lot, but it, you know, it's, that's how people learn. They got to start somewhere. We all started somewhere. So, uh, right. I take it back. It is what it is. We have a caller with a question. Holy oh. shit. It's a miracle. It's Jeff. And oh. Jeff is from Philadelphia. So he better be coming to Carpet Fest, this Jeff guy here. Hey, Jeff, right. you're live <laughs> on the air. What's your what's question? Hey, what's yeah, going on? Uh, what's going on, guys? Um, how are you guys tonight? Yeah, we're doing all right. Awesome. Yeah. Glorious. I hear you. So I um I got a question. Um it involves carpet. Uh, my, my 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 wife wanted to redo the carpet on our stairs and it's you know, a tight <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny? Yeah, it's enjoyable. So go on. Uh, I don't understand the humor. What's so funny? Go on. No, what? go on. You said the carpet on your stairs. Keep going. What colors were you thinking? What uh, thread count? Come on. No, it wasn't anything about that. Um, I, I, I I like the hardwood floors, but the problem is when, when she pulls out her carpet, I can't stop munching on it. Yeah. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I knew it. That's lovely. So, I take it back. Jeff, don't come to Carpet Fest. Don't come to Carpet Fest. I'll end up punching <laughs> you in the face. So, I knew it. We're bunch, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, lovely. So, that's great. Darn. Anyway. I should have ripped him a new one. Anyway, uh, it was like the, who's the asshole? I was going to pull the plug, but Owen, you kept going. I'm like, uh. I, I, I know, because a lot of times, you remember that one guy who called about the dinosaur shit, and I got him stumbling all over himself. Um, so yeah. I am lost my edge. I'm sorry, everybody. Normally, I obliterate <laughs> dumbasses like that. So, good yeah, job, What's wrong Jeff. with you, Ellie? I'm sorry. Someone get this man a drink. Yeah. Well, yeah, later. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Evan's on the line, and he has a question. I don't um, trust him. I don't trust him. And anybody else is coming on, so bring him on. <clears throat> Evan? Is, is that you, no, Evan? I got a real question. I got a real question. You better. You better not be in so, about carpet. Right I, know where, I know where you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I was going to ask about the, the, muddy and, uh, the muddy color on carpet, and – I feel like sometimes it's linked to them being sick. Sometimes I think it's them being kept in dark tubs, whereas, you know, kept out in the open with more sunlight or something, more light, period. Um, 
sometimes it's just genetic. We're, can can it disappear? Like can once it's there, is it there, or can they actually? I mean, can they shed it off? No, I mean once it's there, it's there. Uh, you can. They might get brighter depending on lighting because I'm a firm believer of that. A carpet in bright sunlight looks ten times better than a carpet in a bin in a dark room. So, uh, but the color, your base color is always going to be your base color. So they're never going to shed it off. They just, they might shed and look spectacular, but then they're going to go back down to the normal stay color. So if you get like a jungle, like I guess is what you're kind of going with. And then they kind of get a little muddy, uh, that that's going to be with you for the whole, uh, the whole time you have the animal. It's never going to be one of those times where you open the drawer and it's going to be bright yellow. So awesome. All right. I mean, I pretty much need an answer to that. I just wanted to call in and give y'all something to talk about. Good. You've done well. I mean, now go back to doing whatever it is you do. So cleaning the big shit. That's what I'm doing right there now. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> what we all do. Awesome. I actually did a post not too long ago about somebody asking about something similar because they had an animal. I think develop a respiratory infection. I could be wrong. And then, um, you know, kicking it and shedding and then just like losing all their vibrance. I don't know if you guys caught that. It was, it was some time ago, but that, that had me thinking about it in, in reference to a, the last time you guys did a Condra round table talking about UV and getting an outdoor exposure and stuff. It's, I have zero insight and zero answers for it, but it all seems like a similar and relevant topic. Yeah. Neither do I. Cause I mean, I know what you mean, but I don't, I, I don't have any, uh, I guess, experience to comment. That's why we get yeah. those Contra guys to come on. Cause we yeah. don't know shit about them. <laughs> uh, all, all my, all my little ones that I've ever had, it, they've already gone through all their, like, I mean, it might get, uh, I think the last one I got, got more green, got more yellow and got some red flakes on it. And that was it. Um, by the time I got it, it was already green and yellow. So it wasn't like a red baby completely transitioned. So I don't know. I would say, uh, I don't know. As far as the only carpet that I've seen that has any kind of, uh, color phase, if you will, is IJs. Um, I mean, people should understand that, that, that if you're going to get into IJs, you can open your tub or your cage or whatever during the day. And Riley, you can probably uh, relate to this. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you open it up at night and it's like a completely different snake. You're like, what the holy mm-hmm. hell? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I haven't I haven't seen that in anything but IJ. So, um, yeah. My, uh, my female who laid uh, a clutch, she's a high percentage IJ. She's not full IJ, but... Um, while she was gravid after her prelay and then on eggs, I mean, she's already a dark animal with minimal of that orange rusty side flaming, but a very dark animal in general. Uh, her patterning is very dark bronze. She was damn near black uh, while gravid and on eggs. I mean, just darker than I've ever seen her. And then she laid the eggs, I pulled them, and she shed, went back on food, and she's back to normal. Um and yeah, at night they definitely seem to change. And every time I see that, I always think about Brazilian rainbow boas because I keep and, and breed those as well. And at nighttime, they do this thing called white walling, where um, 
so I've, I've got a couple different color phases of these animals. I've got a very stark orange animal, uh, kind of a mid-grade sort of higher red, and then one of their offspring that I have left. And um, at night, all of them, I open up their enclosure, shine a light on them, look at them, whatever. Their sides go from that normal tone of color, whether it be orange or red, to just stark white up the sides to the dorsal. I mean, it's, it's unreal, and I don't know why that is. Uh, the only thing I can think of is, uh, you know, trying to cancel out any reflection from moonlight if they're nocturnal animals like they are. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a trip, but I see it in IJs for sure, too, and I always think about that. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what cause. I don't know if anybody knows what causes it, but who knows? It's cool, though. <laughs> It sure it's really makes cool. things interesting, you know. I didn't yeah. know that that I happened mean, in uh, Rainbow Bow, so that's pretty. Oh, cool. it's so cool, man! It's really cool to see. I I kept um, I kept four babies from the litter that I had last season, just because they're all different in their own color and pattern ways. But every single one of them at night, they white wall, and you check on them in the morning, they look totally different, and it's really cool to watch. Um, huh. I, uh, my only thought, which is very unsubstantiated, is the, like I said, the moonlight reflection sort of thing. I, you know, they're they're very sit and wait ambush, and they sit during the day and they just kind of hide out and wait at night. And then at night, you know, if the moonlight's coming through, there's enough light to to bounce off, and you know, animals see different color spectrums. And uh, I don't know, it's it's one of those things so where kind of like camouflage. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can postulate. I mean, these animals do what they're going to do, no matter what the book says, because let's be real, <laughs> we wrote the book, not them. So Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, <laughs> despite our uh, <laughs> our caller, um, other than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that's not a caller, it's a douchebag. But go yeah. on. <laughs> so, despite that, that, I... It, I think yeah. that uh we hit on some uh newbie topics that um hopefully people will uh uh you know can learn something from um and uh you know I guess if if I'm going to close and saying anything again I go back to what I said at the beginning just just research a little bit before you're before you're uh before you take the plunge I mean we've all I I know I have I think Owen you have I don't know about you Riley but um I think that we've all made that trigger purchase where you just buy something because you think it's cool and you know, mm-hmm. that's fine. And I've, I still have one animal like that in my collection that I keep. And, you know, luckily it turned out to be pretty nice coastal, but still, um, I don't know. So I, I, I'm not saying not to do that, but I would say to like, you know, there's plenty of resources out there that you can, uh, uh, look at and check out that you shouldn't have any excuse on why you can't figure out what's going on with carpet pythons. So. Yeah. Hey, we all have that, uh, uh, catch them all Pokemon fever at one point or another, that Noah's Ark syndrome where we want everything of everything and just kind of go a little crazy and start buying up everything that we don't have and then regret Mm. it down the line. Amen. It's all part of the learning experience, you know? It is yeah. what it is. I I can't say that, like, going about 
getting into a species is like, there's definitely wrong ways to do it. But even if it's a less than ideal way, you're going to learn something regardless of what your approach is. Uh, and as long as you acknowledge your, uh, your mistakes, your failures, and, and then figure out how you can improve upon that, then there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I think so many times people are scared to come off as inexperienced or new by asking questions or admitting failures and mistakes that it turns people off and they don't want to contribute. And I can totally understand that. I think we had a thread uh, several months ago about people just admitting their mistakes and it was amazing. The outpouring of comments and things that came out of that. It was fantastic. I learned so much about, uh, you know, other people's mistakes and not once did I come out of that thinking, well, I'm never buying a snake from him again, or that guy's an idiot. I'm never talking to him. I I think everybody that commented in, in that thread, um, the, the amount of respect I had for all those people like skyrocketed. And there's some people that I never talked to, some people that I already, you know, looked up to. And it's just, there's nothing wrong with admitting your mistakes as long as you own up to it and then take people's advice as like, okay, this, this is something I need to listen to and absorb rather than get offended by it and take it as an affront to your, your keeping abilities or experience. And, you mentioned it at the beginning. That's that's a challenge when you're communicating via like texting or typing, and that's yeah. where the value of carpet fests and shows and face to face and you know talking with people really. That's where that value is. It's you can't predict somebody's tonality in a text message. You can sort of get an idea based on the way the conversation's going, and you can make a good assumption. But you know what they say about when you assume so absolutely very well said i agree owen you got anything closing nah i'm good they just a lot of, <laughs> lot of good a lot of good information and what i would say is just you know open your ears and kind of listen and uh uh if you can if you have questions ask somebody and don't be offended if they don't get back to you right away. Uh, that most of the people I know in the carpet community will respond, and they will be happy to answer questions. Um, and then just go for the ride, see where it takes you. I mean, you're gonna learn by doing. So. Yeah. Also, don't get offended if people give you an answer that isn't what you're looking for or convenient. Um, Thank you. I hate to <laughs> I hate to get in into a messy subject here, but. Um, and I'll, I'll try and keep it brief, but if you're getting an answer that upsets you, you know, think about what is upsetting. Is it their delivery? Is it the fact that somewhere in there, it means you did something wrong. If it's something that you did wrong, like chances are somebody's not coming down on you for doing it unless they straight out call you an idiot or an asshole, or you didn't do a, you know, like if they're blatantly, like there's no mistaking it, then, you know, okay, maybe allow your feathers to get a little ruffled. But if somebody's just giving their suggestions and saying, hey, I would suggest doing this, or this is the smart approach in this situation, don't sit there and say, oh, how can, you know, you're being mean to me. I can't believe that this space is supposed to be about learning and everything. And it's, you know what? Getting back to the Scott, um, Scott Borden discussion you had briefly at the beginning, he, he says what he says and he doesn't sugarcoat it because he values his experience and shares it because he wants people to learn from it. 
And if you're taking that as like he's being offensive and callous and harsh, like, dude, grow a pair. Learn from what he's saying. Yeah. Like, sugarcoating it does you a disservice. And if you want somebody to sugarcoat it, then like, what what the hell is the point? But I'd rather somebody tell me, hey, I fucked up and like, you're an idiot and like, why'd you do this? Or like, what are you doing? You know better. Something like that. And then say like, oh yeah, it's okay and whatever, put your boat and. You know, and then your animal dies, and you're like, damn it, I wish, uh, I wish they would have told me straight up about it. You know, it, it's a tough pill to swallow, but humility is good for everybody. I agree. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, what do you got? Uh, you got anything you want to throw out there, Riley, as far as, uh, I don't know, anything you want to promote? When's uh, Southwest Carpet Fest? That's like right around the corner so, too, right? Yeah, we're the weekend after you guys. So Southwest yeah. Carpet Fest, um, the weekend, I think it's like June 9th and 10th. Uh, yeah, 9th is Friday, so 10th is the main event. At, and it's at uh, Travis Johnson's place, uh, Living Legless Reptiles. He's out in uh, Paso Robles, so he's just a little ways up the road here for me. Um uh, there's a Facebook group for it. Uh, we're putting together and finalizing the, uh, the the food arrangements and everything, and, and the auction will be coming up soon. We'll probably be a week uh, sort of behind the schedule you guys are running and everything. So uh, if anybody's interested in coming to that, uh, add yourself or request to join that group and then message Travis personally. He's keeping, uh, he's keeping tally of who's coming and who's bringing what so we can kind of get that going. Um, it sounds like there's going to be decent turnout, which I'm, you know, very excited about because we're only in our third year doing this, and uh, it's kind oh, of been, cool. you know, it's kind of been like a, a group of like ten or a dozen of us the first two years, and and now it's sort of doubled, and I think we're at like above thirty people. I think uh, I think Nick is coming out this year. Um, it's a good time. Uh, there's lots of hotels in the area. It is summertime, so things aren't, you know, $60 for the Motel 6 sort of cheap, but they're definitely cheap. <laughs> right. It's unfortunately a really popular wine country, so uh, the summer's big time for it. But um, a lot of us are coming up Friday to help Travis get things set up and cleaned up and take an extra day to play with all of his his animals. Um, and then Friday, it's going to be everybody showing up, barbecuing, potluck, food. We'll have the auction that night. Uh, and then most of us will be heading out. Um, Sunday, so it's going to be a good time. Lots of people. Travis has the room for it, so thank you, Travis, for hosting us again, second year in a row. April and Terrell have been coordinating a lot of the details uh, in their spare time, which you know we all have so much spare time these days. So thank you to them for doing that, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Anybody who wants to come out, message Travis. Look up the group Southwest Carpet Fest on Facebook and get in contact with Travis and have a ball. Cool. Absolutely. All right, man. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks for uh, spending your Tuesday with us, and uh, hopefully, like I said, we help some people. So. Yeah, I mean, it works out for me. Tuesday's uh, my Saturday. I, I work at the zoo, so I don't have normal weekends, so it's always convenient. And I did want to say, again, thank you guys for, one, putting on the show all the time, every week. Uh, I think uh, – I think Eric, your your wife deserves a lot of mm-hmm. uh, applause for 
letting you uh, <laughs> slip away for a few hours on your anniversary. And then just, you know, this, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot of work for you guys. So the fact that you guys go through all the effort and, uh, and then this, I think this is like my fourth or fifth time being on here, which I got to say is one of the most humbling things for, for me. I consider myself as green as it gets and to, to be on a show with the likes of Nick or Harlan Wall or Bill Stiegel or any of these other names that like in the last few years, I've done nothing but like, you know, eat up every word they say that I can find. It, it's pretty, uh, it, I'm very grateful for the experience and I hope, uh, I hope we do help a lot of people learn stuff and, and I hope people are, are learning from this and, and enjoying it as much as I am. Cool. Yep. Thanks man. Appreciate it. It's a labor no, of love, I appreciate man. You guys. A labor of love. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you guys do it well. So, you know, hats <laughs> off to you. you. You guys deserve all the uh, the commendation and respect that there is for what you guys do. So, you know, people look back on this 10, 20 years from now and, you know, it'll be uh, it'll be a big deal. It's a big deal cool. now. So. <laughs> cool. Well, I appreciate that, man. I really do. So. Yeah, you're welcome. I guess I'll say until next time, right? <laughs> definitely. <laughs> until next time, most definitely. All right, guys. Well, you guys right. have a good night. You too, Riley. We'll talk to you soon. Ladies right. gentlemen. See you. All right, real quick. Uh, just going to run through a couple things real quick, and then uh, we'll get out of here because I don't want my wife to divorce me after the uh, – <laughs> you know what I mean? She uh, sure but, uh, papers at Carpet Fest. It'll be real awkward. So. <laughs> yeah, it will. Uh, next week, um, we are joined by Martin Rosemond. Uh, Martin has an awesome collection of carpets, um, and he's going to be talking about uh, his projects, how he keeps them, how he breeds them, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. Okay. Uh, I know he keeps diamond pythons, so I'm, I'm excited to talk to him about uh, how he uh, – what he does with those, uh, and he had a clutch this year, uh, so it should be cool. Um, awesome. And uh, he just started up a new Facebook page, uh, Martin R. Moralia. So go check it out. Give him some likes. Give him some love. He has really, really, really nice uh, carpet pythons. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, carpet Fest Northeast, June 3rd, Warminster, PA. Um, we're about, uh, like I said, a little over a week away. Um, just looking forward to, uh, to seeing all you guys. It should be great. Got the pool hooked up. I'm just waiting to see what the weather is. Uh, got lots of food, uh, and some great people. So all in all, it should be, uh, be a real good time. Um, so if you're sitting on the fence, stop sitting on the fence and just come out and uh, yep. just hang out with some of the, uh, the coolest uh, Morelia people around uh, in my opinion. So, um, and uh, if you have any questions or comments or anything, or I should say any questions or anything like that, as far as uh, carpet fest goes, just either message Owen or myself. Uh, but I would say go join that Northeast carpet page uh, or Facebook group um, and uh, you'll get up to date. Uh, I posted hotels there. I posted, uh, you know, uh, all just different stuff relating to who's bringing what as far as food goes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you can go check out all the stuff there. Uh, as far as us, Morelia Python Radio, um, 
Uh, let's see. We got uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. That's the website. Uh, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. It's some place where you can kind of look and see, get an overview of what's uh, going on in the world of carpet pythons. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for us, please send it to info at MoreliaPythonRadio. You can follow us on Facebook page and our Twitter at MoreliaPython. Um, and two other guys that I want to give. Uh, so Ian Bissell, he's been helping me out with uh, securing some interesting guests, uh, mostly relating to green tree pythons, but, um, you know, some some other ones that uh, will be pretty interesting to talk to. So stay tuned for that. But S&J Reptiles, Ian Bissell, uh, he specializes pretty much in green tree pythons. So you can check out his website at sjreptiles.com. And he's on Facebook page as well, S&J Reptiles. Um, and last but not least, uh, have to continue to try to help uh, rep the links. Um, I should be getting my shipment soon. I know they, they usually ship out at the beginning of the month. Um, so I can't wait to try it and see uh, what's going on with that. But if you hadn't had a chance to listen to the episode with Nick, um, uh, definitely uh, it's like, couple back um be sure to dive into that uh and check it out and uh he goes into to depth about his product and uh the results that he's had uh and other people have had when using it so reptilinks.com um check that out and myself eb morelia i gotta be honest i haven't updated anything in quite a while maybe a few months it's been so busy uh with you know, I got a promotion. I'm, I'm going crazy at work. Uh, I'm trying to to fix up the house for Carpet Fest along with, uh, you know, doing the show and, you know, um, all the different Keeping things the that come along with that. Keeping the yeah. collection and all that stuff. A wife, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. Um, I really try to shy away from just, you know, Facebook and all that stuff. But uh, as soon as Carpet Fest is over, I'll be back into the swing of things and life will go back to normal. So <laughs> uh, that's all well, I got. We to now. Calendar, we get to figure out. Like, once Carpet Fest is over, don't stop. Um, We'll no, it don't. No, it don't. No. But those are a little but, uh, less uh, demanding than uh, Carpet Fest. Of your time. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. Yes. So, but, uh, and I would say I've not done anything to RogueReptiles.com either. I still am updating little things. Uh, right now, I'm just trying to update my breeding journal uh, for this year. The problem is they keep hatching or laying eggs. So it's like, damn it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll get there. Don't you worry. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm doing the same thing. So what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com, check that out, see all the pairings that we're putting up, as well as the babies that will come for sale as they feed. Um, as far as you can also go to Facebook and look up Rogue Reptiles, give us a like over there, and we're going to be doing updates on the on that as well, as well as potentially opening up the store on uh, on the Facebook. I have to figure out how that works, uh, but we'll figure it out together. Uh, other than that, I don't have any shows planned till October at Tinley Park, so that'll be the next time I see everybody. So that's all we got for you guys. Uh, so we're going to see everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night.